Hey everyone, let me ask you a quick question. Are you creating too much content without actually having a plan to get that in front of your audience? Well, this episode is brought to you by Content Repurposing Roadmap. This is my flagship course where I take you step-by-step through my content repurposing strategy. You'll get proven systems, real-life examples, and fill-in-the-blank templates to help you get started. If you want to get more out of every piece of content you're creating, you can enroll for this course at contentrepurposingroadmap.com. Hey everybody, before we get started, I want to thank my friends at Hatch for producing this episode. You can get unlimited podcast editing and strategy for one flat rate by visiting hatch.fm. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to Distribution First, the show where we flip content marketing on its head and focus on what happens after you hit publish. Each week I share playbooks, motivations, stories, and strategies to help you repurpose and distribute your content because you deserve to get the most out of everything you create. pumped to have my buddy Tim on. And today we are going to talk about something that we both know well. We both are maybe evolving our opinions on. I know I certainly have, and I think Tim has as well. And it's also something that has kind of been beaten into content marketers for our whole careers, especially over the last, yeah, let's say 15 years or so. That's SEO. We're going to dive into SEO, kind of take a state of SEO, how it fits into distribution, how it fits into an overall content marketing plan. And I didn't think anybody better come on than Tim. So Tim, welcome to the show, man. Absolute pleasure to be here. Like, I feel like I've listened to so much of your stuff already. And it's just, we have so many, I've learned so much from just the content side of things of like what to do after SEO from your stuff. But uh, I find it's a good having doing SEO well is only going to be a good catalyst for everything that comes after it. So yeah, I've done SEO for the majority of of everything. But yeah, like you said, (laughs) well, awesome. So (laughs) let's start there then. Like, maybe talk to me a little bit about how you've seen SEO change. I mean, man, it feels like definitely over the last decade, but most things change over 10 plus years, right? But really like over the last couple years, like it just feels like stuff's really been changing. Oh, totally. I mean, we could go all the way back to like when I initially started, you could engage with backlinking buying services that would buy you hundreds of links an hour from like random ass websites and all of that kind of stuff that come from there. And then now like the majority of my advice to clients whenever we even talk about backlinks is why are we talking about backlinks? Why are you buying backlinks? Like, please, can we not just put that budget towards creation of more and better content and doing more things with what you already have? And then if we absolutely need backlinks, it's because we've we've done everything else that we possibly can with the assets that we own. I mean, all of the other ridiculous stuff that's coming along when it comes to like AI and the content creation side from that, like that side of things. And I, on a whole, like what Google is doing, (laughs) but I've seen a couple of casualties along the way from fortunately none of my sites i will like to this day i can still hold my hands up and say no site i've ever been in charge of has ever been hit by an algorithm update 
but I've seen close friends get hit mm. really hard with some of their own personal projects and that kind of stuff. You know? Maybe at a high level, because at least even the folks that I talk to, like, and so certainly people listening to the show are going to have a wide variety of expertise on SEO and Google. So maybe talk a little bit, even at a high level of what's happening. You mentioned like Google's been doing some stuff and changing some things. So like, what are a couple of those things, Tim? Yeah, I think it was May, May, the biggest update that we've kind of seen in terms of quality, which is the one that we're all kind of focused on. And I guess I initially heard it. There was a company I was talking to where they were like, oh, we tried AI content and it didn't work for us. And if anything, we got hit by other content that we created. And a lot of people have said, I guess, initially, Google doesn't like AI content, but they literally have written in their own scriptures, the Bible of Google, that they're okay with it. They're fine with AI content as long as it still provides value to the end user. So why are these people who are putting AI content on their website getting hit? And it's because the update that they created was that there was a new check put in place that essentially said, like, what is the value of your website as a whole? And what that meant was you couldn't just have like, let's say 10% of your content putting the rest of the website on its shoulders and carrying it you now get the rest of the website, if it's not performing, if it's not creating value to people, will pull down the rest of your content. So if you go from, okay, we've got like, let's say, I think the average amount of blogs on a any random like SaaS company website is like 30. And if you go from 30 to 100 and pretty quick, and those 60, 70 that you've added are majority AI created and they're not to the standard of everything else, you now have... 200% more content than you had previously and it's mm -hmm. crap <laughs> and you wonder why you get hit and it's not because you did it with AI it's because you have an overwhelming majority of content that is not the same quality as what you previously had so the really interesting thing now is like okay cool we know content velocity works we know that the creation of a lot of content there is as much as I absolutely adore using what you have already to create more value with what you already have on different platforms, you, we cannot ignore, because I've seen it way too many times and have participated in one such project, where we created 300 plus blogs over two months on a brand new website, and we went from nothing to 7,000 clicks a day. <laughs> And right now, even though the traffic around those topics has dwindled a little bit, it's still sticking around about three and a half, four thousand clicks a day. And considering that site didn't exist six months ago, that's still pretty good <laughs> in the grand scheme of things. Content velocity works, but also all of that content was handwritten. There was an agency, it was all written by people, it was all sat there, and the quality was very high for a lot of that content. And what wasn't high, we went back and we adjusted and we made changes and we kind of realigned everything to where, where the bar was set initially. So I think from my side, in terms of like what SEO is like now, is you cannot just look at one or two or 10 pages in a, in a, in a vacuum, in a little bucket and go, oh, these are the ones that are going to carry us. And then they just kind of create, keep creating content outside of that. You have to look at all of your content as does it provide value? And I will always ask the question, if it does not rank, 
what is your plan to get eyes to it? Because if you don't have a plan, I'm going to tell you, you get rid of it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, man. (laughs) Yeah, no, this is literally like um, a huge part. It's why the distribution first framework exists. It's to ask that question and not blindly hope that what you created will rank and be successful. Mm. Because I think that's, for me, running mainly an SEO content-based strategy and a distribution strategy for close to five years was super successful. We were able to create a lot of content and make a lot of, like you were saying, like it can be absolutely be successful. The problem with that is, though, if you are spending all your time creating that stuff without that plan and without that ability to get that stuff to rank, right? Because even even like we're starting to get closer to page three. I'm like starting to get like Oh, so you're still losing. For, and honestly now I'm sure you I mean we could go even deep on this, but like have you seen a Google SERP lately? Yeah. Being result number three on page yeah. one isn't gonna help you. It's crazy how those SERPs have changed. I mean especially, you know? It's ridiculous because like the US SERPs are way more crowded than the UK SERPs. Mm. I've noticed this when I've we've been ranking clients across like across the two. Because the likelihood is if you create the right content for one of those, you'll you'll rank depend like regardless. But the US one is so much more crowded. There's so much more stuff on there than it is versus like the UK ones. But I agree. There's almost a point where I can't remember who I heard it from. I think it was John Cooper, who's the guy who used to be head of ads at the agency that I used to work at ages ago. And he was like, a lot of people will not click number one and they'll click number two because there's almost a point where it's like number one, you know, they're playing the game. Yeah. And it's like, oh my God, that's such weird reverse psychology of, especially if it's more marketing side of things. I think I do that, man. I think I do that. Yeah. And the same thing goes with ads to the point that he was purposefully like hamstringing ad budgets so that he wouldn't be the number one ad. He would be number two. So Because number one is usually paying the most over for the majority of the time. So they hit that equivalent of semantic satiation where you just see it so often that you get tired and you get like ad blindness. So he was purposely hampering ad budget. So he'd be number two. So he wasn't hitting that point of like, I just don't care because I see you way too often all the time. Oh and I've gosh. weirdly, I've seen it with search results too. And have you noticed that like everyone, whoever ranks top three, everyone else is copying their title structure? Oh, a thousand percent, man. It's, br- it's brutal. So I've got to the point now where I'm like, I have a chat GPT prompt that will pull all of the titles out of everyone and I'll give it a load of templates and I will go, which one of these is like the complete opposite of what everybody else is using. And the crazy thing is, is like, I've been in position five and I'm getting way more clicks than I know I deserve. And it's yeah. purely because it's the only title that's different. It's just a pattern interrupt. Yeah. I'm like, I don't deserve these clicks from position five, but I'll take them. <laughs> I'll yeah. take them. And then I know it's working when somebody else copies my title. <laughs> and I, it's, it's so dumb. <laughs> hey, they're seeing it. They're trying to figure it out, man. Absolutely. But it's so interesting, like, especially with listicles and those kind of things. It's like you immediately have to say the thing, your like use case versus everybody else. 
because everyone else is like 10 best podcast setups pros cons use cases and it's just like actually i want the eight podcast setups under 200 dollars. like that's my now title right because like i want the people who want to start like tomorrow and not spend like three weeks trying to figure out if they're going to spend a grand on a camera right right i don't care yeah yeah and it de- it depends on and that's where like knowing that from the jump of the content you're creating and the why and mm. having all those things built out. I mean, that's going to help you make a better, I mean, you know this, but like, it's one thing to get the click. If you get a bunch of clicks and all of them bounce that mm. you're, you're not yeah. going to last on that ranking for long. So it's like, yeah, being able to marry all those you, things. Yeah. You need to prove that you deserve it, that traffic. And that's the thing that took me a while to get. And, and I've seen clients kind of like come around to it and understand that it's like, there are times when you can spike rankings and all of a sudden you just get like this really nice rank and it's like sick and then you just drop it because you don't deserve it. And it's like, okay, cool. Meta description title, they're on point. But our content is not congruent. At the moment, we are BuzzFeed. We are clickbait. <laughs> we, are, we do not deserve what comes from the other side. And usually, and this is a massive thing that I've noticed with most content is that it's written upside down in that it's just written the wrong way around, in that people these days, when they make that click, they want that answer fast. And the content that wins gives them an answer initially, and then it will give them some kind of like slightly vague context, which is enough for you to then go and click what is usually a jump link and then click further down the page that gives you a little bit more information. And then what you usually need to do is then figure out, okay, where does that sit in the grand scheme of things? And now, oh my God, I'm reading the whole thing. Mm, mm -hmm. (laughs) And it kind of cascades a little bit into it, but it starts with give them the answer the second they land on that page. I do not want like a full screen hero picture of like all of the barbecues that you're reviewing or whatever. Like I want best for under $200, best for you want to recreate those ridiculous YouTube videos that you end up binge watching or best for I've got a couple of people coming around this weekend and I want to kind of make it look like I know what I'm doing, like really weirdly specific use cases, right? But then like, don't hide that from me. Like give me that answer really quick. When I did that skimmability calculator that I I threw on LinkedIn a couple of weeks back, I put so much research into working out like why people read because why would you go to all of that effort trying to rank it if no one's going to read it? Mm Mm-hmm. And it's weird. There's this kind of paradox that comes with it where it's like the easier you make it to skim read, the more likely someone is to read the whole thing. Yes. There's this weird science behind skim reading and like how people kind of pick up on things mm-hmm. and what catches their attention. And weirdly, it goes back to the thing we were saying before, where it's it's just pattern interruption. It's just pattern interruption. Just like I hate the fact that SEO is like you have to be the best of you have to be the absolute average of everyone to rank and then you have to be the complete opposite while still doing that at the same time oh yeah (laughs) i think that's one of the most frustrating things that i dealt with running after a few years of running at first it's very exciting it's like oh i can get this stuff to rank and look how cool i can pull this lever and do that it's very exciting oh my god do you remember the first day you outranked wikipedia Oh, man, I remember, dude, I remember when I outranked YouTube, man, for a YouTube, how to make a YouTube video post. And I was like, you feel like (sighs) internet God. (laughs) You're like, I know everything. And then you realize, oh, it's not that hard. 
yeah. Yeah, it was hilarious. It was actually hilarious because uh, one of my best friends, he used to run video for us. And I wrote this I wrote this article and I was like, yeah, I wrote, you know, I wrote this article about how to make a YouTube video. And he was like, OK, cool. Like, you've never made one. I was like, yeah, but I, I got it to rank. And he's like, oh, really? And I'm like, yeah, above YouTube. He's like, wait a second. You you do. You don't know how to make mm-hmm. YouTube videos. I'm like. I know how to write the articles about it. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, it was really, it was a really uh, hilarious uh, moment in my life. One of the best ones I ever managed to do was there was a coffee shop in London that I used to go to all of the time, and at the at the that point, I was creating lots of like helping local businesses like rank their google my business and all of the kind of fun stuff that goes between that and the weird integration between websites and your google my business and all this kind of stuff and um i wrote a review for them that literally just included like best coffee in london and i went to their coffee shop and i was like oh you got a google home and i was just like hey google what's the best coffee in in london and it literally reads out like them as number one and then my review underneath it. And the guy went home and he would sent me a video on Instagram and he was like, I did it at home and it worked at home. It's like one review. And I was like, yeah, it's usually all it takes. Just one review. <laughs> Local SEO is a whole other ball game. Been, been, been there as well. And I don't look forward to going back. So <laughs> I don't think I'm ever going back. No, no, I did, did my stint in local. <laughs> So I'm curious with the sort of inverting the flipping of the content, like that makes a ton of sense to me. I I know for a lot of people, even still today, it's the heavy intro, the setup, the Mm. why, you know, the definition and then the The 2000 words before you get to the rest of this. And then like, I literally (laughs) like, but it's funny because what you said, right? Like it's that Mm. delicate balance of playing the game. Because you need to play the yep. game in some way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. But man, you have got to create something that's useful. Because I can't tell you how fast when I hop on one of those posts that I'm uh, out of here. Ah, like yeah, yeah I, can't, I don't want to be on this page anymore. I don't, I, I don't want to scroll. I think so much of it comes from the misguided idea that time on page was a ranking factor, and I genuinely don't believe it's ever been like confirmed. I think it's. I can understand why it would be considered a ranking factor, but then it completely depends on the search intent behind the search, right? Like, let's say your search intent is, I want to find out what the weather is tomorrow. And let's Mm -hmm. say for whatever reason, Google doesn't just immediately tell you, but there's a page and you go on it. Like I've done this. I've looked into this. The, the, The average word count on those pages is like 400 words long. And it's because the majority of the content is some kind of weirdly like nice visual interactive graph that sort of shows you, oh, it's going to rain and all of this kind of stuff. And it's like, okay, cool. And then the opposite of that search intent would be like, how do I write the blurb to my PhD thesis? And it's like, again, I've looked into this and I mean, at least for me where I am in the UK, that average word count of what ranks is like five and a half thousand words. But if you imagine you swap those around the other way, right? And you can imagine the time on page that goes with both of those. The first one is like maybe five seconds if I'm lucky. I look at the day, I go, oh, it's raining, cool, and I leave. Does that mean it wasn't useful because I left within five seconds? No, it was hella useful. It was so useful I got everything I needed in five seconds, right? But you can understand if I'm only on a how to write a thesis for a like a blurb for my PhD thesis and five seconds, 
there's no way you've told me all of like the intricacies and the little things I need to do and whether or not it needs to be cited and all of the other bits that go along with that. And you, now it becomes very understandable as to why the word count for that is also so long. So there's this misfounded idea of the word count has to always be like over 1600 words or 1800 or 2000 or something like that. But in, in reality, it's just that a lot of those word counts align with what also looks like doing the topic justice. And in some instances where you've got a pretty heavy topic, there's not a chance you can even touch the sides if you're only throwing 1200 words at it. But also at the same time, you might be doing that topic to death if you happen to throw 8000 words at it. Mm -hmm. But then the problem that you have with something like 8,000 words, and let's say a lot of those companies, like a lot of what's ranking have a lot of word count. If you don't have a good subject matter expert that can help with the creation of that, it becomes very easy to fall into those what is and FAQs and definitions of this and applications of, and it's just like, oh, now you're just filling spaces. Right. And it's not helpful. It's not like, yeah. again, it's sort of like the generic response that you'll get out of a chat gpt it'll yeah. give you the layman's sort of like high level overview but if you are an expert in any field and you start going into it and you're trying to you're presented with that it's like mm. Mm, i know this isn't all that good this is this is actually not helpful at all <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and i think that's there is that kind of just word count means you just rank better. And there was the wonderful study by Backlinko that essentially showed that the longer the content was, the more likely it is to rank. And I can't disagree with that, right? Like we've all seen and more than enough sites where they've been spamming 400, 600 word articles every single day, because at some point somebody's told them that relevancy matters, like the, how often, how recent you posted something matters. And then at the same time, I did a search the other day and couldn't believe that the number two ranking was written in 2012. Mm -hmm. And they ranked like well, for, and they deserved to. And it was like, okay, maybe you've updated this, but your this was originally written in 2012. Like the hell? Not that website that's like, I wrote 12 blogs this week and all of them are 400 words long and you can find out what kind of bread you are. And it's like, I don't care. <laughs> it's not useful at all. I think that like the biggest change for me, for me personally in kind of understanding SEO is way more understanding how people interact and use and value content, which then pushed me way more into the, oh, content strategy is pretty cool. Mm -hmm. <laughs> well, I wonder what that looks like. Because I was getting sick of clients getting all of this ridiculous organic traffic and then doing nothing with it. Right. Yeah. Which is another huge part of that. I mean, I'm sure you've seen it with clients. I'm sure you've seen it with other people. I've literally experienced this where it's like, look at how many, you know, that's why you always got to go that layer deeper, even between just like clicks and sessions a month, because it's like, look at all these sessions we're getting. Nobody's converting. Who mm. cares that we're getting these sessions? How is it helping? Like, that's the game that you can try, like, especially like from a leadership standpoint, like when you're working with executives and things like it's very mm. easy to pull up a dashboard, a keyword list, trend line graph and say like, you know, look at all this growth. Look at, look at, all, and they're like, well, well, and even analytics a lot of times just because of the way attribution works, like look at yep. all the Google traffic we're getting. Look at all, <laughs> look at all the direct, you know, uh, traffic we're getting. We must be killing it in SEO. And it's like, ah, a lot of that's brand. So like, oh, crap, now we're back to square one. Yeah. 
It's interesting because I think there's still a brand play that you can do from an SEO point of view and that there are terms that you should own. Like I absolutely love it when I come across companies that own their own alternatives page. Mm -hmm. They're literally telling you, if you don't fit into this box, we are not best for you. Go to these people. They're great. They've run amazing things but they're not our people. And that's fine. So many people are so against doing that. And it baffles me because at some point, someone else is going to write that blog. They're going to write the HubSpot Alternatives blog. They're going to write the whatever, like different companies, the Alternatives blog. And it's, I can't remember who it was that I came across. It might be Podia in all fairness. Like I think Podia has like the Podia Alternatives page. And it's literally, it's like, oh, you're, too, you're a very small creator or you're a massive creator and you have like mm-hmm. a huge team or you only want these one or two features and we, we have 10 features and it's like, you just want these two, go to them. And then when you're ready to grow, we integrate with that. You want to then pull into that in a year's time when it makes sense for you? Sick. Cool. We do that. Like there's a one button integration. And it's like, oh my God, you're you're now answering the hurdles for the people that you're pushing away for when they come back. <laughs> it's like, that's a baller strategy. <laughs> the thing with that, the thing with that, Tim, I agree. And from my standpoint though, it's it's how content I was just talking with somebody the other day about this. Content, it just layers up to business. It layers up to all the the only reason that they can write that post is because leadership is telling them in one way or the other who they are. This is what we stand for. This is what this is. We yeah. know our audience. Go and it's completely that okay with create the content creation in the first place. Yes. All of the clients that I have that are absolutely killing it, their C-suite is like, yes, content. We build content. It's an asset. We're not just doing it because we should be running a blog. It's like, no, it's an asset. And they treat it like such. They expect the investment on it. They expect their own investment within it. They expect the return on it and all of that kind of stuff. And it's and it's just like, I couldn't agree more. It comes from the top. Yeah. And like the understanding of like, because even if you want to write that comparisons post or that comparisons, you know, landing page or whatever that is, I could just know from personal experience that that's not always going to go over well because somebody mm. is going to say, wait a second, why are you saying so-and-so is better than us? Like, it's, you know, yeah. maybe the more corporate, the more, the bigger yeah. the org, the more, but even on a smaller company, I can see How where How the ego is bruised uh, upon mention. <laughs> yes, 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 it's hard. Weird, it's hard. Yeah, it's one of the things I'm really looking forward to in, like, a secret project thing that I'm doing, where it's just like, I'm going to go against every single competitor and go like, no, they're better for that. They're better. We don't do that. But isn't that, the, isn't that the smart move, though, man, where it's like in the long run of like, okay, you, what if you bring in a bunch of people and your product's not great for them? They're not going to stick around because mm. your product's yeah. not great for them. Yeah. But also, like, I want to know, right? Like, at CMO, that's my product. That's my thing that I'm building. Mm-hmm. Like, I want to know what I'm up against. I want to know what the user like journey is like in that thing. I want to know how easy it is to get what I need out of those things. I want to write all of those things down. I want to know the bit where I struggled and I had to go to Google and find someone's forum post that taught me how to do that. And then I want to immediately not do that with my thing. Right. I want to know those because one, it's incredible research. And two, I just take a load of screenshots and I pull it all out. One of the best things I ever saw was by... Uh, what is the company? I want to say it is WP Rocket, uh, WordPress hosting co- company. They did this incredible thing 
where they created loads of content of all of the error codes from other will we speed up your WordPress site plugins. And they ranked for all of those because none of the other plugins were like covering that stuff. And essentially they were just like, obviously if you're searching for this one, you have a problem, you need it solving today. So we can immediately provide value with that. But there's no reason why you would have that plugin installed in the first place if you didn't care about site speed, and that's all we do. All we do is offer the fastest and most reliable servers that we possibly can, and we make sure your site is fast. So all you need to do now, I've provided value, I've helped you fix your current problem, I've told you like there's probably a better way of doing it. It's not too far to then go, you want a buy button? <laughs> you want to just move? <laughs> Like that makes so much sense as a brilliant content play. <laughs> yeah. And when you do that at scale over multiple errors, you know, maybe somebody's not going to do it the yeah. first time, but when they come across another error and they're like, all yeah. right, you know, it's, it, it makes sense. How do I keep strategy. ending back on the same yeah. site yeah. <laughs> to solve my problems? It doesn't take much for you to just go, okay, what do they know that I don't? And that content is pretty easy to write in the grand scheme of things. And I get it's a it's potentially a difficult one to replicate, but that idea of someone is always going to have a problem with the thing that they use now. And if that company isn't answering that question, might not be a bad idea for you to answer that question. <laughs> that is a great transition to my next question that I was thinking about, which is, Let's say you're starting an SEO strategy. Mm -hmm. You're trying to build this thing out. Where do you even begin? Are you sort of like, let's focus bottom funnel and really start to, to nail this and then work our way back up top? Are you trying to spread a, a mix in between? Are you going heavy at the top to try to answer and bring people in? Like, What's your kind of path there? So for me, it's bottom of funnel. I love doing all of the bottom of funnel pretty quickly. One, because they're very easy pages to justify from just a content point of view like they need to exist and at absolute worst they pull double duty because they're great sales enablement they're usually wonderful blogs that you can pass to potential prospects as to whether or not it makes sense for them those kind of things and also there's a finite amount of pages that you can make and you're kind of done and then there might be one or two that you add over the next couple of months but with a reasonable production velocity of like maybe it's even just two blogs a week or something like that one a week, you can get through the majority of those bottom of funnel pages, at least enough to sell the product within about two months. And then you're done. And we can now start playing with data. Because at that point, a lot of bottom of funnel pages don't have data for them, mm -hmm. because Ahrefs just doesn't have it, you won't have it because you're a brand new website. So you can't go and search console and have a C. But you just kind of have to trust that these are the pages that exist and help for the sales process. And you can put a buy button on them and therefore make them and just put them live and let them do the thing. We can update them over time. One of the bigger reasons why I like doing it this way as well is that as we make our way up the funnel, as we create content, we already know we've got pages that we can send them to for that person to continue a journey. I hate doing top of funnel stuff first because you have nowhere to send them if they're invested. You can't just put a buy now button in front of them because it's like asking someone to sleep with you the second that you've, you've just met them, right? Like cold audience, very, very warm offer <laughs> doesn't work. 
Whereas if you can go in like medium and then your your offer is, oh, by the way, do you want to read a little bit more about this? I'm not giving you an email address. I'm not jumping on a call with some random demo. It's enough to, for me to make a one more commitment to read something else for me to then go, oh, I've self-soothed a couple of potential hurdles I invented because everyone just invents reasons why it doesn't work for them and you've helped approach these things. And then there's a page that, okay, now I'm ready to give you an email address or to have a conversation with someone or whatever. So middle of funnel is a bit that I love to play in the majority of the time. And then if it makes sense to create something that is top of funnel, I will. But I don't think people play enough in middle of the funnel at all. And essentially, for me, the majority of the middle of the funnel comes down to three main kind of content types. And they are annoyingly listicles because they do numbers they they do alternatives to this versus that like those kind of things and then if you're really not that well known then it's big player versus big player two versus us or you talk about integrations that you might have with big players like something along those lines where you're just taking a stance making a comparison and then i like how to guides but in such a way of you're answering them through the product. So mm -hmm. let's say, for example, it was how do I turn podcasts into TikTok videos? And you can talk about that in so many ways where it's like, oh, we record it. And then you throw it into like After Effects or like not After Effects. These days. What is like, <laughs> it's so long since I've used video editing programs when I was at uni, but throw it into davinci and then you go through and you find all the nice bits and you cut it up and it, or you could answer and it's like no one wants that and that doesn't help sell your product but you could answer it with like how do i turn podcasts into tiktok shorts and then in brackets with whatever your product is if that's what you do and then you just talk through it and the wonderful thing about that is that inherently has a place for you to put shitloads of screenshots to show mm -hmm. what it's like using your product. And the nice thing about that is not only do you provide value, but it's like a mini tutorial. Absolutely. It's a really nice piece of content. Yeah. That that was the main play I did when we were at, when I was a TechSmith and just literally racked in millions of views every single month yeah. writing that type of content where it's yeah. like I mentioned, like how do I make a YouTube video? It's like, well, here's how to do it with Camtasia. <laughs> yeah. Here's, oh. you know, <laughs> yeah. And, and then I'll show you how to do, I'll show you exactly how to uh -huh. do that. And the nice thing about that is it works great for SaaS companies. It works really good for affiliate sites too. If you're running affiliate sites, most affiliate sites are literally just a review of product or mm. list of all of these things. And they work. I'm not going to say they don't work because people want to know those things. By the way, if you're doing review content, literally use the software. Oh my God, the amount of review content that is just like a synopsis of the other 10 people who've made synopsises of the other 20. Like, please just use it yourself. It's not that hard. You'll make something incredible. Uh, <laughs> yeah, if how-to guides are great. I love a good like how-to guide and they work really well for like the affiliate side of things. Like, just show me what's going on with it. And then the other the other type that I like are case studies, but case studies, I think, are usually written the wrong way around and that it's like how we helped Justin make a better podcast when in reality, it's like it should be how Justin did great achievement with us because now I'm presenting the person who had the problem that I had 
first and oh it's weird how i can empathize with person mm -hmm. and not brandless nameless company i don't i don't care about the company i want to agree with what justin's problems were and oh my god justin solved those problems maybe i could be justin in the future please show me the way brand and oh now it makes sense for me to kind of move in that direction so many case studies and like user stories and like those kind of things are written from the how we helped blah 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 get this i don't care what you did yep i'm not after your success i want my success yeah it's the classic story brand concept right it's the hero's hero story yeah yeah yeah, yeah. I, I i did animation and film studies at university and like the seven core stories was like drilled into us and the mm -hmm. number one story that you that you learn is like the hero story and the guide and the struggle and all yep. of that kind of stuff that helps you with it it's yeah. so um universal so hey man yeah. i'm curious you sparked my curiosity here let's mm -hmm. go back to this bottom of the funnel now that we know that's where we're gonna start uh -huh. what are those first five things that i need to create bottom of the funnel? Ooh, good question I'm super quick going to pull up my, like, because I literally have this as a list that I just sent to clients. <laughs> let me, let me. Maybe I'll him. squeeze Tim to, to even give us a sneak peek Ooh. of said list. I'll throw it in the show notes. We can, we can do a couple of those things. It's the ones that you can push bias guides if you don't have anything that is like bias guides work really well from like a middle funnel point of view, but really good, like, this is the stack of software that you need for these kind of jobs. So they're very use case specific. This is what you need to solve those problems. I love buyer's guides because it gives you a place that you can kind of talk about your integrations. You can talk about all of the use cases. There's very rarely a SaaS company comes out and they only have one use case. They've got a number of smaller use cases that they work really well for. So you can write one for each one of those. And then I love the whatever the software type that you are for use case. So literally just like product management software for HR teams. Because the likelihood of that is you're not going to find search volume on that. I could literally just have a look. I'm really curious now. So product management uh, software for HR teams search volume that i'm getting is oh so i get no data which 100 percent makes sense but it's mm -hmm. weird when ClickUp ranks for best employee management software for hr teams in 2023 or maybe i'm on the right track <laughs> that is very bottom of funnel kind of software and what's really funny is i can see two competitors one of my current clients in their list i won't tell them <laughs> but it's it's like Talk about exactly what you are and who you're for and be so stupidly specific about those things in your content. And the likelihood is, is you probably maybe fall into one or two categories for those different use cases. And you really, and it doesn't have to be best. You could be, it could be, yeah, like best product management software for HR teams, top. Like you'll rank for a lot of those things if you just write one article, but you want to talk about the product kind of type that you fall in and the, I guess the process, the buying process of who are the teams that are going to use this, what kind of, if you are local, go for the terms that are like best printing company in Seattle or something along those lines. Like literally it is the thing that you are. 
And the one thing that I'll add on to this, and I had a conversation with one of my clients about this today, I'm sure she'll be okay with me talking about this, is they, she was like, oh, and all of our calls, they keep talking about the fact that they love that we can integrate with PDFs and we can read PDFs and do this thing from it. And I was like, why are you, why are you not using the word PDF on any of your product pages? Mm-hmm. You're saying that almost every sales call, they're like, oh my God, you use PDFs? That makes our use, like our workflow so much easier. Like use it in your heading like immediately say pdfs like we read pdfs and elevate your your workflow however you want to you want to say it but you need to talk about the main thing that you do because you never know who is going to be the a hundred percent that fits every single problem that i have i will buy that thing right now one percent of all people who do seo searches who do organic searches need to buy something today the problem is that urgent and will do as like that specific a search Mm -hmm. so even though the data will not be there to prove that you should do it we will not be able to find like search volumes on these things or click through rates or those kind of things. Just trust, trust that that content needs to exist and you'll have more than enough that you can probably create a good eight, nine, 10 articles. And now you want to pull out and go, okay, cool. Now talk to the problem that you solve and how you solve it with the content. But now we're playing a little bit more middle of funnel for me. Bottom of funnel is anything that you can put a sales oriented click on middle of anything that it doesn't make sense for you to put a requested demo or buy now or the equivalent right of. transitional yeah anything for me like that's above that is middle of funnel where it makes sense for me to introduce you to another piece of content is middle of funnel and then top of funnel is just like let's just try and wrap everything up for those people who don't quite know what they're searching for yet but they know that they've got kind of got a problem but maybe don't know the language around their problem yeah, I prefer middle of funnel. Top of funnel, I find to be quite messy mm-hmm. in most instances. We can wrap on this because I think this is really a huge evolution for me and my content strategies that I've been building, which is much more holistic. So I almost, to your point, I totally agree. Start bottom funnel, work your way up. You might not even need to get top of funnel blog content going for Oh, a I couldn't while, agree more. Right? Like yeah. you can yeah. you can pull so much top of funnel content into <laughs> other distribution channels. Yeah. LinkedIn, Twitter, email, etc. Gain start building an audience around those top of funnel ideas, those questions, those philosophical problems that you want because nobody will ever be searching for those ever but no you still need to get that information out that's where having a more holistic distribution strategy of that to say like this content how are we getting it out it's bottom of funnel nobody cares about bottom funnel on linkedin awesome we're gonna use seo for that right like and having much more of a i call it a three bucket strategy and i've got an episode on that but that's what you need to be doing Oh, totally. There was a, I can't, I cannot remember where I read it, but it changed how I think about top of funnel, middle of funnel, bottom of funnel. And essentially it's like bottom of funnel is anything where a hundred percent you add the transactional button. However, that looks for you regardless of whatever you're selling. Top of funnel is actually, if you think about it more so the top of your funnel, 
in that the top of your funnel is where the audience understands the problem that you solve. And they might not understand it with the right language. They might not understand that you solve it, but they understand they have a problem. Mm -hmm. Now, a lot of people are going to go, no, that's middle of funnel. No, it's the top of your funnel, because now you can start introducing them to you and how you solve that problem and the costs associated with it and the use cases where it makes sense to solve that problem and so on and so forth. And everything above that is like pre-funnel. They do not even know that like you have a thing that you solve. Cool. Okay, fine. So if those are the definitions of top and bottom, and bottom, middle is huge. <laughs> Everything between that, like, oh my god, you have so much space to play now. And it's like, ah, oh, so that opens things up way more. But then the nice thing that I find with that is it gives so much more, I guess, gravitas to the idea that a funnel is not linear regardless of how we build it people will bounce around everywhere okay cool so that's completely fine if we say that they bounce around in the middle of funnel when we've defined the middle of funnel to be this and not this right and all of a sudden it makes way more sense and to be your funnel yeah which is a whole other thing right because like saying to the top of my funnel you know, how much content gets gets blown out into the atmosphere that is mm. top of funnel or even middle funnel, potentially, that is in no way, shape or form ever going to get anybody into your funnel. It's somebody, yeah, it's, exactly. it's somebody else's funnel or somebody else's thing. It's just tangentially, yeah. we could rank for that. We, you know, we, it makes sense. And it's like, potentially, but by doing one thing, you're not doing another. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. The cost breakdown on that. I think the nice thing about this as well is you look at that and you go, okay, so the top of my funnel starts with the problem, which means that we're never writing those like stupid, what is this post? Mm -hmm. And what does that mean? And I get 100%. Define the terms that you as a company own. What is, and then the exact category that you fall within. Because if that terminology makes sense to the buyer for them to understand their problem better and become a much more mature and informed buyer so they can make a better decision, that is in the long term in your benefit. You want to do that. But if it is just like the totally generic, like what is product management? Bro, don't, don't even try. You don't need it. It serves no purpose for you. You're never going to rank for it. Please just write something else. <laughs> And I can go to chat GPT and I can say, act as an expert in this and just tell me what this is. And I can get a better answer than you're going to ever give me. Yeah. Faster. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's super interesting, man. Hey, this has been super fun. Um, It's been a while since I jammed on SEO. So it's cool to see how that fits. I think for anybody listening, like, A, if you need help with SEO, Tim's your man. B, if you're curious about how to build more of a holistic strategy, go check out the episode I did on the three bucket distribution strategy. It's just the smartest way that you can go about doing it. And you're not going to cannibalize your efforts and you're not going to waste time trying to put a bottom of funnel or a definition blog post out on Twitter like that people are just not interested in. Yeah, so, no, one uh, no, nobody cares. Nobody <laughs> no cares. One cares. So, uh, <laughs> I, I would definitely advise checking that out and, and seeing how you can try to implement that more diverse strategy into what you're doing. But Tim, super fun to have you on, man. Uh, we'll, uh, I'll definitely a have pleasure. you back at some point. Oh, no, please do. I, 
I genuinely can't wait until I can talk about the thing. Ooh-hoo. And because that's going to be just a massive change of like, oh, I was doing this for people. And now I'm like, oh, my God, I own the whole thing. <laughs> Do I actually know what I'm talking about? So well, by the time uh, that, this episode comes out, you uh, it may be Ooh, live. Maybe, maybe we might have the thing. Keep an eye out on Tim's LinkedIn and, and see what he's got going on over there. But awesome, man. We'll uh, we'll chat again soon. A pleasure. Thank you for having me on. All right, I hope you enjoyed this episode of Distribution First, and thank you for listening all the way through. I appreciate you so, so much. And I hope you're able to apply what you learned in this episode one way or another into your content strategy as well. Speaking of strategy, we have a lot of things going on this year that are gonna help you build your brand, 10X your content, and transform the way you do content marketing. Make sure to subscribe to the show and sign up for my newsletter at justinsimon.co so you don't miss a thing. I look forward to serving you in the next episode as well. And until then, take care and I'll see you next time.